Collective Conversations, the podcast that explores the intersection of social health, community, and connection for mental wellness. We're your hosts, Chris Henson. And I'm Mackenzie Fox. We're therapists with The Collective, a treatment center based on social health located in Nashville, Tennessee. In each episode of Collective Conversations, we'll be talking to experts, influencers, and everyday people who are making a difference in the world of social health. We'll dive into topics like loneliness, building community, and the power of vulnerability. Hello, Mackenzie. Hi, Chris. How are you? I am good. How are you? I'm pretty fine. I'm really enjoying the weather. You know, it was super hot last week, so I'm really enjoying how it's kind of starting to cool off. and Hopefully it'll stay that way. I am ready for fall. I am over hot girl summer, so I'm definitely ready for some cooler weather. Other than that, things have been good. I just got back from a trip, which is always nice, to the beach where it's now a hurricane. <laughs> um, but, you know, wasn't there for that. So. My mom is actually there right now. She was actually texting me about that. Oh, really? Yeah. So can I share a secret with you? Yeah, please. The topic that we're talking about today makes me so uncomfortable. What is it? We're talking about grief. Okay. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Yeah. I mean, do you have any experience? I'm sure you have some experiences with grief, but like, what has that been like for you? Like, what makes it uncomfortable for you? I think it's because for me, it can show up in different ways depending on what kind of grief it is. And then when it comes to people in my life that are experiencing it, I don't really know the best way to support them. I feel like for me, what makes it so uncomfortable for me is it feels like it just is going to last forever. Anytime I've experienced grief, I feel like if I sit where I am right now and think about it for too long, it will still feel really tender. Um, And I think for me, I always associate it with death or losing someone that you love. And it just always feels like a really loaded topic. So even as a therapist, when my clients come in with grief, I'm like, okay, this will be fine. We'll get through this together, which... I think is the topic. I think that's why we picked this topic today um, is that this is something grief. I think is something that everybody will experience. Nobody is getting out of this without experiencing grief at some point, but how do we talk about it? Which makes this the perfect conversation. And we brought in a really special guest. Yeah. Um, Our guest today is Erica Hazelhurst. She's a therapist based in Nashville, Tennessee. Erica is a licensed clinical social worker and has a master's of science in social work from the University of Tennessee. Her past experience includes working as a clinical hospice social worker, where she's helped patients and families through end-of-life transitions, complicated grief, and traumatic loss. It was through her work in hospice that she developed a passion for working with grief and complicated loss. She has also worked in multiple settings with families and children with extensive histories of trauma. Erica has recently started offering workshops and other educational opportunities on the topic of grief and loss, which really makes her our perfect guest today. Absolutely. Hi. Hello. How are you? I'm great. Just coming here to fill y'all's day with anxiety over (laughs) death and dying and grief and loss. (laughs) I know. Poor Erica just had to sit here and listen to us say, this feels really heavy. No, I think I'm used to that. When I tell people I like to work with grief, they're pretty um, turned off by that, I would say. Yeah. I find that interesting because when you were reading her bio, Mackenzie, you said a passion for grief. (laughs) And I really want to, I'm curious more to hear about that. Well, first, let me say, do y'all know what today is? Uh, Wednesday. Today is Wednesday, August 30th. National Grief Awareness Day. Are you serious? Are you kidding? Yeah, I didn't Holy even know that shit. until this Look morning. Look at us. <laughs> but we are meeting on National Grief Awareness Day. And that was so, not planned. It was no. not planned. But like how serendipitous. Yeah. Right? I feel like we could take credit for that. That was absolutely planned. Yeah. No, I'll say I it wasn't think... planned by us, but planned by something maybe else. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. It's meant to be. 
now I've forgotten what you just asked me because I had to plug well, that in right there. <laughs> I, what I asked you is the words passion and grief to me don't seem like things that could go, they shouldn't go together. Sure. And I'm really curious how they do for you. Yeah. Um. So I, it's not that like I want to experience grief. It's not like I'm excited about the next time I'll experience it. I'm definitely not excited for my friends, my family, my clients that experience it. So the passion is not, you know, that's not really where the passion lies. I think I have a passion for working with people through grief because it, the longer we live, the more we're going to experience it. This is a universal experience and we're a pretty grief illiterate society. We don't talk about it. We don't acknowledge it. We are hardwired to survive. So we try to avoid it at all costs. And that can be really damaging, I think, for the people that are going through it. I think that's why we end up feeling really isolated in our grief. So I think where my passion comes in is I want to be a support for people going through it as somebody who has experienced it um, many times and pretty extensively to help people get out of that feeling of isolation. To me, it it makes sense why it's avoided. But as somebody who's gone through it and gone through it and gone through it, I'm like, this is crazy. We need to be talking about it more. The longer we live, the more we'll go through it. So I think that's where that passion comes in of like helping people understand they'll survive it. You can survive it, even though even thinking about it sometimes can feel like you won't. I think I'm curious, you know, to know from you, we're we're all therapists in this room. And so we I think oftentimes we gravitate towards the things that we know. And so your experience with grief, I know you said you've experienced quite mm-hmm. a bit. How have you like done the work, reconciled the grief to be able to like walk other people through this journey in a very sort of intimate way as sure. as their therapist? Well, I think if had I not gone through the grief I'd gone through, I would not be doing this. It, I think the first time I went through grief, really extensive grief was when I lost my mom almost um, 12 years ago. And that, I mean, I was in my early twenties. It was, it was intense. I was not in this field at all. And I think it was coming out of that, that I was able to kind of look back and and have more compassion for myself and for others going through it. I realized like I'm really young to be going through the death of a parent, but it happens. I mean, and and it would it, it it's going to happen to more of my friends as we go down, you know, as we get older, but it really I don't know, it changed my view of grief. So then I started doing the work, going to therapy, asking for help when I needed, which was really really hard for me. I think that is part of a in my opinion, a gift of my grief has been the vulnerability that comes with it. I am not somebody that likes to ask for help. And I learned how to ask for help in the times that I've experienced grief, Um, whether it was when my mom died, when my aunt died, when my grandfather died, all of that has happened in 10 years, 11 years. And um, I've just learned more and more about myself along the way, learned more compassion for myself, more compassion for others. And so it's been really important for me to try and help people through that. And that's going to look really different if somebody's coming to me and their loved one has just died versus like it's been a year, two years, or even, you know, a few months down the road. Your grief looks very different throughout that. 
Can you tell like just what is grief? Like, can you just give like an overview or a definition? Yeah. Of just what grief is. Like the other word that always comes to mind for me is mourning. And so like, Mm -hmm. is that different? Is that the same thing? Like, what's the difference between grief and mourning? What is grief? Well, I think so grief is the death of something, the loss of something. And it's that it's what we're internally feeling. I think when we are grieving, it's what's going on within us, which can feel really chaotic, disorienting, isolating. Grief is crazy making. It really is. And then that mourning, I think mourning is the outward expression of grief. It's what people can see. You know, I I hear the word mourning and I think of people at a funeral wearing all black and crying. And of course, it can look a lot of different ways, but that's the first image that comes to mind. It's what you can see. And I think that's a really important part of grief. I think we need to to be able to grieve outwardly so that we can receive support and uh, help where we need it. I love that. I'm curious if you have a personal definition of grief. I it shows up differently yeah, for all of us, right? Yeah. To me, grief is a part of life. Like it is if we are going to want the joy of life, the beauty of life, then we have to accept that the grief, the punishments, the grief, the punishments that come with life are all I think uh they come from the joys of life. If and so if we if we want one, we have to have, have to accept that we're going to have other so i think my definition of grief is just something that is a part of life as general as that is to me it makes it a little less scary i mean i I take it as like a hard truth that we all have to experience and unfortunately will as you said part of life but also it seems like a lot of people have no idea what the hell to do with it or to do when in it because it is so uncomfortable nobody wants nobody wants that I, i don't want that you know even though i know i've survived my own grief I'm not looking forward to the next bad phone call, (laughs) you know, I'm not, but I know that if I, I know that I want to live a long, happy life with my family and that's what I hope for. I, I hope to die peacefully in my bed. And I think a lot of people hope for that. But if I want that, I have to accept that I'm going to experience some really hard things along the way. The longer I live, the more grief I'll probably experience. It's a compromise. To have a long life, you're going to have a lot of experiences and some of them are not a com- not comfortable or expected or wanted. You know, we've spent a couple, or the first part of this talking about primarily grief through death, but I'm curious, like, what other areas of life can we experience grief? Because I'm assuming it doesn't just come from... No, not from at all. ...physical death. And I've actually been seeing a lot more people, doing a lot more grief work with people that are grieving other things. You know, grief can come with the loss of anything, I think. Divorce, the loss of a relationship, you know, breaking up. I have been seeing a lot of people grieving when their kids were younger. Like their their kids are growing up and so they're grieving what once was, which I'm experiencing a lot of as a mom of two young, really young kids, is that like once one phase is over, it's not coming back. You know, they're growing so fast and, and that can be a period of grief. And then, of course, I think we all collectively experienced grief together during the pandemic. It was a loss of life as we knew it. And I mean, still, things are there are certain things that are never going to go back to the way they were before the pandemic. So people are still grieving that. People, I mean, especially in 2020, you were seeing a lot of grief of just being able to come together. But that was huge. I mean, you had, you know, high school seniors who were grieving being able to live out their senior life with their, I mean, 
nobody thought they weren't going to be able to graduate with the people they had gone to school with for, for four years. And so grief can be just the loss of anything, the loss of an idea of what you thought your future was going to be like. I think I've talked on here before about going through the pandemic. I graduated with my master's during the pandemic and I didn't get to walk. And that was like a weird experience to have. And I think looking back now, I can recognize that that was like a grief process of just missing out on this big thing that, you know, I worked really hard for it, but I don't think I ever labeled it as grief in that moment. It was just like, oh, here's this other thing It is ruined, you know, but when you were experiencing it the first time, it was so intense. And even now, I think I still have some sadness around that, which I think leads to my to some of my fear about grief of like, oh, well, that hasn't gone away. And that was not in the grand scheme of things like the most grief I'm ever going to experience. Sure. Like sure. it's just still here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in your work with grief, what have been some common like myths or misconceptions or just like what do you see show up a lot that you're like, mm, that's not really how that works or that people just may not know about? Well, you said something earlier. I can't remember how you worded it, but it's definitely a misconception of grief of that. Like, it's just never going to end. You said something like that. So the misconception about that is that you're always going to feel terrible or this like high level of distress. Your grief does not necessarily end, but you do grow around it. And it does start to take less of a toll on your life. The, the goal is that you can integrate the grief into your life and, 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 you know, find meaning in your life again and not be so high in your distress. So I think people think if so-and-so, if I lose so-and-so in my life, I, I will never get over it. I have clients say, you know, if my mom dies, I will, I will just die of a broken heart. I will never get over it. And I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, I've been there. I used to think that too. And I know you can survive it. But the thought of it is so paralyzing for people. It is a misconception. We are, we can do really hard things. And I think our brain sometimes tells us we can't. So I think that's a huge misconception or just misunderstanding of how grief works. The pain can be really, really, really intense at first, but you will survive it. You can survive it, I should say. I think a huge misconception is that, or a huge myth is that, Grief is put really neatly into these five stages and it's very like it happens in an orderly fashion. And that is so not true and so harmful to put out there and was never the way the stages were intended to be understood. What are the five stages? So the five stages are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, sadness, and acceptance. And those Elizabeth Kubler-Ross came up with those when she was working with dying people. And she wrote a book called On Death and Dying. She never meant that to be this prescriptive, you know, answer to grieving people of like, here are the five stages wrapped neatly in a bow and this is how it happens. And and she was she was in in her like later work with um, David Kessler was really reluctant to even touch the stages again because they were so, I think, misinterpreted by the public. They can be helpful. They really can, but not when people are like, well, what's wrong with me if I'm not, you know, if I'm not experiencing these five stages and I'm not experiencing them in a certain order or if I'm going back and forth with between two stages. So 
they're meant to be descriptive and not prescriptive. And they can be helpful to some people and they might not be helpful to others. That's what I think is so interesting because I think grief is one of those things that we're never going to fully understand because it's so individualized. Sure. And so I know through my own grief, I've like I've been like, oh, I'm not crying about X, Y, Z that's happened to me or this and something's wrong. I'm not grieving correctly. Sure. And I wonder <laughs> if people see these five stages, yeah. which I'm sure even people that are not in the mental health field are pretty aware of. And if they're not hitting the benchmarks that they're grieving incorrectly or that something's wrong. Well, yeah. I mean, I do see clients that come in and they'll be like, why? Well, you know, I I'm haven't experienced the anger part. And I'm like, okay. And you might not. And you might, or you might not for a year or two. I mean, it just, it doesn't work like that, that everybody experiences all five or all five in this order. It is so individualized. It is so complex. And you will experience much more than denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. You will, I mean, there's so, there's physical symptoms. There's, there's, you know, brain fog. There's irritability at the smallest of things. I say often, you know, when we're grieving, our nervous systems cannot handle what it used what it used to be able to handle. It's just the grief has taken over. So that is a huge misconception that there are these five stages and these five stages only and and you will you will go through them all and it looks like this. And again, that's never how it was intended to be interpreted. I love that you bring up the sort of non-emotional or emotion-based like parts of grief. Um, one of my best friends lost her dad two years ago. And I think one of the things that she has shared with me in that process is like the mental fog. We were talking about something a couple of days ago and she was talking about wanting to take a trip. She hasn't traveled in a really long time. And I was like, we've taken like three trips in X yeah. amount of time. And she was like, I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I don't have a ton of memories of that time because it was so soon after losing her dad. And so I think sometimes we don't consider the like the things outside of just the emotional distress or like processing that we have to do with grief, but like that physical piece, the, uh, you know, just the mental part of that. Totally. I, I see, I've, I've had clients that are like, I just went to work for eight hours and stared at my computer screen. And I, I was so just out of it. I think I moved to Aspen six months after my mom died and I lost every piece of outerwear, like my scarves, my gloves, my, all the things I needed in the winter in Aspen. <laughs> yeah. I was losing all over town and I was, had no money. So it was, you know, a real bummer to be losing all these things and not be able to buy more. But that was a huge piece of mine was this like forgetfulness. And I think people think they're going crazy when they grieve because nobody's talking about this. And so outside of these five stages that are very famous, people don't know that so much more comes with it. I'm curious, what is something that's been mentioned a couple of times is complicated grief or complicated loss. What is that? Like what would be considered complicated? I think so. This is what's kind of hard to speak to because there. You know, I say over and over again that there's not a normal grief trajectory, that it's so individualized that you can't say, okay, well, within a year, you'll be feeling better. However, if it has been, you know, a specific amount of time, you know, if it's been over a year, it's been two years, it's been even longer than that. And you've got somebody that is is really experiencing persistent, just longing for a person, their days, I would I would say, you know, their days are not. 
they are not able to function in sort of a quote unquote normal capacity because they are so just taken over by their grief. I think, you know, you could that that could be categorized as prolonged or prolonged or complicated grief. But really, you know, I think I think anybody that is grieving can be susceptible to this. It can be really for the people that experience like a traumatic death or um something something very layered and complicated, that's where that that complicated piece comes in. If and by layered and complicated, I mean like there was the relationship was really complicated. So a lot of factors go into that. I know that's like as clear as mud, but <laughs> again, it's all really individualized. So I'm not saying that somebody who loses a parent to cancer when they knew they were going to lose a parent to cancer can't have complicated grief, but just, I think more, you're more susceptible to it. If maybe you lose somebody, who, you know, somebody you love to being murdered or something yeah. and you've witness something horrific like that. I'm curious because I'm hearing all this and it sounds like it's so like just complicated how to approach it. And I'm yeah. wondering for something that's so nebulous, like how do you work with your clients through grief? And also how do people that are not in the field just support people that have experienced grief? So I really take an approach of being the student rather than the teacher in grief in, in working through grief with my clients. I'm there to bear witness to their grief and to walk alongside them and to learn as much as I can about what they're going through, what they're dealing with, and to be to help them hopefully, like I talked about earlier, get them to less of a distress to to integrate that grief into their life. I am not there to diminish their grief, but to rather like at the beginning to sort of make it bloom, if you will, and so we can explore that together. Because it, it's a it's a fact of life. It's a it's a normal part of life. So we can't diminish it. We can't ignore it. So I would say that is a big that is a big part of my work with people is being that student and letting them teach me what they're going through. And if it is appropriate, providing a lot of psychoeducation. And that's not for every client. But if they are experiencing these different phases, then okay, we can talk about the five phases. You know, I mean, stages. We can talk about the five stages of grief. That's not always appropriate. Did that answer your question about like yeah. me working? Yeah, with? yeah. I mean, what I took from that is like rather than letting it fester, you walk alongside them to help them, like let it blossom into. Sure. Like it sounds like for you through your own grief, and I can only I can relate with my grief. It created a lot of perspective and a lot of appreciation as sure. well. And me just knowing that it's going to look different. You know, I see a lot of clients through their grief, and they're all so different. And, and there are activities we can do for them to teach me more about their grief. Sometimes we're just talking. Sometimes we're just talking about memories. You know, it, it is so individualized. But I think in your question about how you can support a grieving person is by allowing that person the space to talk about the person they're missing. I know for me personally, that's really important. I like to talk about my mom. I like to talk about my aunt. I like to talk about my grandfather. It keeps... For me, it keeps that connection going. You know, I think we think of somebody dying as this break in our relationship with them. And it doesn't have to be. We can keep it going and we can keep that going through these conversations. So it's always really meaningful to me when my friends bring up my mom. My friend, this necklace I'm wearing today, all my best friends, my birthday was a week and a half after my mom died and they all had it made for me. And it's it's got her initials on it and my initials on it. And none of 
I had a huge group of friends at the time. These were my high school friends. It was like 20 of us. And we had had one friend lose a parent in high school. And I think that kind of rocked everyone's world. Nobody had experienced a loss like that. And I honestly feel like it it equipped them better to deal with it when I went through it. They all really showed up for me in different ways. But just allowing your person the space to talk about the person they miss and not trying to like check with yourself of how uncomfortable it's making you and why it's making you uncomfortable and what you do with that discomfort. Yeah. I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind when you say that is like, I think it's, I think it's natural when two humans are in a room and someone is crying. So for someone to reach for the tissues and give it to them to be like, Hey, stop this because this is too much for me, whether they say that or not. I never, I mean, I won't say never. I don't hand the tissue box over (laughs) in sessions, especially in grief sessions. Yeah. I try to have them placed around the room in case somebody wants to grab it themselves, but I don't want anybody to feel like your grief is too much for me. And I think it's just that level of sadness that people can be really uncomfortable with. But know that if you have a friend that is bringing up someone that has died, they're wanting to talk about them. And they might be sad, but that's okay. They they want, it can make us feel so connected that person who's gone you may not be able to do anything more than just to sit there with them and that's absolutely sounds like maybe that's all they really want once you experience like a high level of grief you will you will never you will show up in a different way with your friends who experience it you will that's not to say you can't if you haven't experienced grief but you will say things differently you will check in differently you will you just will it changes it's that compassion like i think it just gives you more compassion for yourself and for others but something I, I've talked to a lot of clients about that, that I think a lot of people, it makes them feel good is when they get like a text from a friend that's just like, I'm thinking about you. Instead of how are you? I know that's always well-intentioned, but at the beginning of grief, you're never good, <laughs> usually. So just like, I'm thinking about you. No need to respond. Just wanted to know you're heavy on my heart. I have Things so like many that. questions for you. This is so fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> I think like knowing or, or hearing and talking about the importance of like the social support and the social aspect of grief. Um, I think, and I think one of the things that I don't consider a ton, but even in like how different people, like different cultures and stuff grieve. I remember I was going to a friend's like family member funeral and being Southern, one of the first questions I asked was like, what food can I bring? Yeah. And this was a Catholic funeral. And she was like, don't bring food to the funeral. It's not a party. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's not a, <laughs> but like, you know, yeah. S- like Southern, oh right? We're like, oh my God, Absolutely. we're bringing all of like the KFC. We got the mac yeah. and cheese. It's comfort. It's comfort, there right? There so many hams in my fridge when my mom died. <laughs> yes. So many hams. <laughs> right. And so even thinking about the way that like social support, um, how we show up for people, yeah. I think that's something that you like sometimes just being with that person, just sitting with them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think I look back on the few weeks after my mom died, and while, yes, it was very distressing emotionally for me, my my dad's house, I lived at my dad's house at the time, was full of people for weeks and full of food. I mean, we were taken care of. And that can be why those first few weeks are not the hardest at all, because people are paying close attention to you. But people have to move on with their lives. You know, they do. So people aren't checking in as much after those first few weeks. But yes, I think food is a huge piece of a a lot of different cultures when somebody dies. You know, 
that's that's a big ritual in in grief and mourning is that like I'm gonna bring you meals and and we're gonna gather for that. So I think I I, I love that as a means of taking care of people. I know it was really helpful during the times where my family was grieving. It just it's one less thing you have to do. I'm curious kind of around the language when it comes to supporting people with that experiencing grief is how do you feel about the phrase, I'm sorry for your loss? I, I think that phrase is okay. You know, I think that phrase is obviously it's a more generic phrase that we hear more, but I don't find anything particular personally yeah, and professionally. I don't, I don't, it is not my opinion that that is harmful in any way. I think where I think people are trying to get creative and like, how do I, how do I sit with somebody? How do I offer support and outside of, I'm sorry for your loss. And that can be where you get in trouble. I think I see a lot of people trying to fix it because they're uncomfortable, right? So like, how do I make this person feel better in their grief? How do I fix it? You can't. You cannot make anybody feel better when they have just had somebody they love die or, you know, experienced a major loss. So don't try to fix it. I think just by letting them know, I am so sorry for what you're going through. I'm so sorry for your loss. And if that's it, that's it. And if it's a closer person, just and you were close to their person that died, you can elaborate on that. But I don't think we ever need to try and fix it by saying, well, at least this or at least that. That can that can be where it gets harmful. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I, I like your perspective because I try to avoid saying that because I take it as I'm sorry for your loss. It's not my loss. It's your loss. And it seems to me like it's for me, I've experienced this like being dismissive and I want to be more like, how can I support you? Sure. Can I make you dinner? Can yeah. you want to go do something? Can I just sit with you? What do you need? I hear what you're saying, but it, but the fact is, it is their loss. It, it is. isn't yeah. your loss. It is, yeah. And the worst loss is going to be your loss. Like the worst loss you're going to experience is your loss and not somebody else's. And so I think just sort of like sussing out like what is, what's appropriate for the, like, is this my best friend or is this an acquaintance? acquaintance? Like, you know, that can be important. You don't have to, you know, bring meals to somebody you barely know. I think, I mean, you could, that'd be lovely. But like, I think we get too stressed about how we can show up for people when really all we've got to do is let them know, like, I love you. I'm here. I, I will talk with you through anything. I'll just sit with you. I will bring you meals, but we don't have to fix anything. If that makes sense. Absolutely. I think one of the things as a therapist that we sometimes can demonize is distraction. But I've had friends who have experienced loss that I've been with and like really what has benefited has been distraction. And so right. like, tell me like, is that helpful? You know, what, what does that look like or what can that look like? Well, so there's a, there's a fine line between distraction and avoidance, but I talk and I talk to my clients about this all the time because I don't think we can speed up our grief by any means, but I do think we can complicate it and prolong it if we isolate or if we, you know, I mean, just like depression, if, if we don't get up and get our routine going, we're just going to perpetuate that depression. So we can do the same with our grief if we lay in bed for a year and isolate. So I think that distraction piece, I think of it more of like, how can I begin to put one foot in front of the other and live my life that will never be the same? Our grief changes us completely. But how do I integrate this loss into my life and start to do things again? And so whether that's that's simply your your 
um, regular routine of going to work, seeing friends, that kind of thing, or I'm going to start going to therapy. I'm going to start going to group therapy. I'm going to start doing more, you know, doing more with this grief, memorial, memorializing it, like things like that. But instead of distraction, I sort of think of it as a way of, of getting up and putting one foot in front of the other. And I, I think it's very important. We have to do things. We have to, we have to let people in when we're grieving and allow people to support us. Otherwise, that isolation is really going to complicate things. How do you know when to seek out like professional help? Like when would a therapist be beneficial? Because this, like you said, this is something we're yeah. all going to go through. Yeah. Um, not everybody always ends up in therapy. Sure. Right? But Most like people when is, don't. Yeah, yeah. When's a professional needed? So that's a really good question. I, I am biased, but um, <laughs> I will say I think anybody, I think grief work for anyone is therapeutic, can be therapeutic if you're wanting to go, right? So does everybody need it? No. Some people sort of follow this quote unquote normal grief trajectory, if you will, to where it's not this intensely distressing thing in their lives. Or, or if it is, it's, you know, only lasts a few months and they're able to integrate it into their life well. But I still think it can be therapeutic and it can be short term and it can be you can establish with a, a therapist and that therapist will know your grief. So later on, should you need help with other things, you're well established with them. Now, if it is, you know, a, a more of a complicated or traumatic loss, I think therapy is really important. Grief counseling therapy. I mean, it's important because that's where that complicated grief can come in. And I think if you're dealing with something super traumatic, that getting in early is very important as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. I mean, well, and I want to ask actually before we get into some of our like listener questions, um, this is more from just like the curious therapist side of me of like, what are there like specific therapeutic approaches that are helpful? Does that vary from client to client? Like what do you, yeah. maybe what do you utilize most often? What do you see utilized most often when we're talking about processing there are different approaches what i kind of talked about earlier is the companioning model so where i take that student approach and let them lead and i feel like that can be really powerful again as i said earlier i think psychoeducation can be really helpful for some people like take taking a you know on the flip side taking a role as sort of a grief educator that can make certain types of people just feel less crazy right like okay what i'm going through i'm not going insane because <laughs> it feels like that way a lot of times. I think CBT can be used a lot in in certain cases of grief. And then for the more traumatic experiences, you might be doing some intense trauma work around your grief. So it, it can look a whole lot of different ways. What I see most, like what my clients mostly need is just me to be there and to sit with them through their grief and to help them explore that and to let them lead. Chris, you've got some listener questions for us. I sure do. So first one is, is there pre-grief for things your body has not yet processed? Pre-grief? Mm -hmm. I guess anticipatory yeah. grief. Anticipatory grief, yes, for sure. I think, well, I saw a ton of that, obviously, in hospice, where you know, I mean, you're on hospice, so it's end-of-life care. Mm -hmm. So I worked with thousands of families where they're anticipating this person that they love dying. 
and it can bring on a ton of anxiety. But I think anticipatory grief is something most of us will struggle with. I mean, I think what y'all are talking, what y'all were talking about at the beginning of today is the anticipatory grief. Y'all, it's this anxiety of knowing you're going to have to experience it at some point. You think about somebody you love and to think about them dying or not being around is really, like I said before, just paralyzing. But yes, there is absolutely that. And and that can come with like terminal illness or just other other layers of a relationship, I guess. The next one asks, what to say to someone dealing with the feeling of the one that got away? I'm, I'm thinking this is more in relation to love. This is a tough one because, or not a tough one, but this is this is grief. So how I handle grief is that it is not to be fixed. And I think when people are going through breakups or end of relationships, they are so uncomfortable and wanting a fix. Like, I don't want to feel this way anymore. I want to move on, whether that's like, I want to meet somebody else, or I just want us to get back together, or I need to find closure, which that's a whole nother thing that I don't know that that exists. But what I would say to people, what I do say to clients who are dealing with the loss of a relationship is that you have to grieve it. You have to feel it to heal it, as cheesy as that sounds. Feel it to heal it. I like <laughs> that. You do. But like you that. do. And you have, so that's going to look like grieving. It's going to look like being really sad or angry or whatever that is. All the emotions that come with the loss and putting one foot in front of the other to continue to live your life. But you, you've got to have to grieve it. You can't, you can't fully accept it or get to an acceptance place if you don't feel it. Sorry, hate to break it to you. <laughs> you you got to do it. You yeah, part of being work. a human being is we're having to feel it all. Yeah. We have these emotions for a reason, and some of them are really icky, but part of it. So this next question asks, how do you get past the feeling of them being gone, but still feeling them everywhere you go? That is one of those things that I'll speak to this personally. Everything that reminded me of my mom, you know, almost 12 years ago when she died still reminds me of her. So I still, you know, hear a song and it it reminds me of her. Music is a big thing because she loved music. The things that remind me of her are still as strong as ever, but the way it impacts me is very different. So truly, it takes you feeling it, going through that more intense grief to one day be able to be reminded of your person anywhere and everywhere and and be able to get on with your day without having a total breakdown. Does that even answer that question? Yeah, it does. And I think it leads into the question I want to ask is when it comes to anniversaries, because I think about I have new grief in my life and I have two anniversaries coming up pretty soon. And I wonder how it's going to personally affect me and what I need. And I'm wondering for your own experience, what do you do for yourself to, you know, for the anticipatory part of of that date coming up and just how do you take care of yourself and anything you can offer? That's something I talk about all the time. Because that's where re-grieving comes in. So we can be at a place in our grief where we feel really strong and that we've done a lot to get to where we are. And then we can re-grieve because of an anniversary or or because, you know, you know, I think when I got married, that was a big thing. Like I'm getting married without my mom. The re-grief came up. That so anniversaries, holidays, big days. I talk to my clients a lot about having a plan for that day. And that doesn't have to be this huge, I'm going on a trip to avoid, but more so make sure you're taking care of yourself so that you're not finding yourself in like more of a depression or more of a slump. 
that you're not finding yourself totally alone and isolated, like twiddling your thumbs thinking like, what am I going to do today? This is horrible. So that can look like, I think, you know, my family, we went to New York for Christmas the first year after my mom died because her birthday was on Christmas Eve. That's a bigger sort of let's get out, be together, but do something out of the norm. That's definitely a bigger sort of plan, if you will. For other clients, I'll just say, why don't you have plans like go for a long walk? I have another client who she will write about her dad a lot on these big anniversary days, but she'll like my, my people will have a plan or, or multiple plans, like plan A, plan B, plan C, and it's to take care of yourself. And I also want to offer that often that anticipatory anxiety of the day is usually worse than the actual day. Not always, but usually. And, and if you can have a solid plan so that you're not finding yourself like in McDonald's on Christmas because you didn't make a plan because you didn't want to make a plan without your person, that's where I think what I'm talking about when the anxiety over it can be worse. Yeah. But if you don't make a plan and you decide, I'm not going to see anybody, and then you end up on, in McDonald's on Christmas, that might, that might be worse than that <laughs> anticipation. <laughs> yeah. I have one more question if you're open to it. Okay. Um, do you feel like honoring grief over time can create new grief? And what I mean by that, like visiting someone's uh, memorial year after year after year, and then as, as the years go on, maybe you stop doing that as much. And then you're like, or I'll just speak for me. I'm like, well, am I not doing enough to honor this person? What you're talking Does that about? Make sense? Yes. Where I lump that in to the grief process is anxiety. I think anxiety should be its own stage of grief. I think guilt and anxiety, which to me can almost be the same thing. I think the way guilt shows up in my life is anxiety or the, the way anxiety shows up in my life is guilt. But it's just, it's a way to, it, it's not helpful. But we do that. We do it often of like, I'm not doing enough. I used to do all these things for my grief and I'm not doing enough. Um, and I think that that guilt and anxiety Guilt and anxiety can be like behavior modifiers and can be helpful in life. But when it comes to our grief, it's it's not all that productive because it's just us telling ourselves like how we're doing a bad job of grieving. And that's not accurate. There's not one proper way to grieve in my no. from what I've learned. No, there isn't. And I used to go see go to my mom's gravesite and I experienced what you're talking about, where when I stopped, I wasn't getting that's not how. I felt connected to my mom. I wasn't really getting much out of it. I did it because I thought I'm supposed to be doing this. So that was something like what you're talking about was something I had to let go of too. Of Like this, this isn't me being a bad daughter or griever. There are other ways I can feel connected. But yes, with grief comes secondary grief. I mean, it just, it doesn't end, but we have to be really mindful about how that's showing up. And what's productive and what's really not. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for answering those questions. Yeah. yeah. I am curious about sort of, you know, we, we talked about like the social support aspect of grief, but I'm curious a little bit about like the internal community building with like perhaps other people who are experiencing grief going to like um, support groups and stuff. Like tell me a little bit about that, the importance of it. Yeah. Like what are your thoughts on that? I think for the most part with all my clients that I'm seeing individually, I typically at some part always bring up support groups that are offered in the area or different 
different resources they can find online to come together with other people. I, I think it is, I think it is so important through your grief journey to come together with other people. You can have really great friends that are showing up and supporting you, but there is something about somebody else who is going through or has gone through what you're experiencing that can hold a little bit more weight. But I think it is so important to to find that community piece. And there's a lot of different opportunity out there to do that. I, I recently was listening to a podcast about grief and they were talking about the wooden, the long wooden spoons parable. Have y'all heard this? No, I haven't. It really made me think of the collective and what we do here and then just like grieving and finding your community in that. So it's the wooden spoons parable is um, there's a man that goes into this banquet hall and it's it's this beautiful table full of food. It just smells so good. Tons of beautiful food everywhere. And he sees that all the people sitting at the table have these long wooden spoons and they're so long that they can't reach it into their mouths. And so when he takes a closer look at the people, they're very gaunt and starving. They're starving. They've got all this beautiful food, but they cannot feed themselves. And then in another banquet hall, same thing. Beautiful table full of food, smells very good, except all the people at that table are really happy and fed because they're feeding. But they have the long spoons as well, but they're feeding one another. That is heaven and the other place is hell. And I like that parable because I think it just shows you that if we can do things together, we can be we can be better. We can be happier. We can be if we can feed each other and we can support each other, um, we can get through things a little bit easier. I love that. I probably didn't tell it as beautifully as it is meant to be told. Butchered it a little, but you get the you get the gist. I mean, I might steal that and use you that. You should, and you'll steal, you'll steal it and you'll it sound it. better <laughs> saying it as you always do. You haven't trademarked it, no. But it's great. <laughs> it is. You know, talking about the role of group therapy or, or, you know, sort of grieving in a collective space, no pun intended, you have a grief workshop coming up. I do. You want to tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, it will be here at The Collective on September 23rd. September 22nd. September 22nd. <laughs> Friday, September 22nd, I will be having a grief workshop here at The Collective. And it will be a lot of things. I think I'll, you know, that's that psychoeducational piece will be there, but it will also be pretty interactive. Um, I have some activities planned, and I just really want to get to know the people that come and what their experience with grief is like and what they've noticed as well when it comes to how isolating it can be versus what has been helpful for them in finding connection. I want to talk a lot about that connection piece, not only to finding connection here on earth with living people, but like how do we keep the connection going with the person we've lost and what that can look like. So come see me at The Collective, September 22nd, <laughs> 10 to 2. 10 to 2. Yes, uh, in Nashville. So if you find in yourself Nashville. in Nashville yes. on that day. Um, and then if you're listening to this, you can register at mycollectivecare.com and you can use the code EARLYBIRD for $100 off. And we would yeah. love to have you 
Come join us. If I have not just totally depressed you, nobody's (laughs) going to listen to this podcast. They're going to see grief and be like, yeah, right. (laughs) But I hope I can provide some, some hope. That's my, that's always my desire is to provide hope when talking about grief, that it's not something to be feared, but more prepared for in a way. Thanks so much for joining us, Erica. Thank you so much. Having me. You're so amazing. Y'all are the best. Yes. This is fun. Y'all might not have thought so. Because we were talking about grief and death and dying. But. Honestly, this was, I expected this to be uh, like a little bit more painful and it no. wasn't. Like, yeah. I think honestly, you. I found it comforting and the way you normalize it. And I think it's just really inspiring the way you approach it to something that is so, for me, so hard to wrap my head around and terrifying. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's my goal. I hope I can normalize it a little bit more and make it less terrifying. Thanks for hanging out, thank everyone. Thank you. And thank you for everyone that's listening. That's all today. Thank you guys for joining us on Collective Conversations. If you want to learn more, you can check out our website at mycollectivecare.com or on our Instagram at mycollectivecare. We'd also love to hear from you. So you can send us an email at hello at mycollectivecare.com or give us a call 615-208-3397. Yeah. And if you have any questions that you want us to answer on an upcoming episode, we're happy to do that. We'd love to hear from you all and, and any kind of feedback or anything you want to see us talk about in the future, let us know. 